Hello and welcome to the Midweek Podcast. Today we're talking about Daniel chapter 4, and I want to start out by giving you some background information about the city of Babylon. Babylon is mentioned 260 times in Scripture. The only other city that's more important is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is considered God's city. Babylon is considered Satan's city. It represents evil, wickedness, idolatry, prostitution, oppression, and all sorts of other kinds of evil. Nebuchadnezzar built Babylon during that time. It may have been the largest, and it was the uh, most beautiful city in the world at that time. The city was surrounded by a double-walled system, and the inner wall was 21 feet thick, and there were uh, defensive towers about every 60 feet or 20 meters There's also an outer wall that was 11 feet thick and had watchtowers. Later, Nebuchadnezzar added another double wall system. And this one was 25 feet thick and the inner wall was 23 feet thick. And it was so wide that a chariot could run on top of the wall and turn around on the top. Now, that wall, we're not sure how high it was, but what we do know is that the Ishtar Gate was 40 feet tall, about 13 meters tall. And so this was a massive, massive uh, defensive wall surrounding the city. It would have been so intimidating for invaders to try to get through. And in this city, there were 53 temples believed to be present. The city... uh, went through the Euphrates River, and so it was on either side of the Euphrates River, there was, a, there was a bridge that was 400 feet long within the city. Now, also in Babylon were the Hanging Gardens, and the story from the Babylonian historian Barossus is that Nebuchadnezzar made these gardens for his wife who came from the mountains, and so he tried to make... Uh, the hanging gardens look like the mountains where she came from, and there were many different kinds of plants and trees. And so this is the city. There was even a a temple that was this seven-story, seven-floor ziggurat that was 288 feet tall. And so it's this incredibly beautiful an impressive city built by Nebuchadnezzar, considered one of the seven wonders of the world. So if you can imagine the amount of power, authority, wealth, resources it took to build this type of city, this is what Nebuchadnezzar had. He was the king of the known world. He was the most powerful man in the world. Absolute authority, could kill who he wanted to kill, uh, could keep alive whoever he wanted to keep alive. And this is who Nebuchadnezzar is. He's had some encounters with God's people. He's had a dream that Daniel interpreted and made known to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fire. And now this story, chapter 4, probably takes place about 30 years after that incident. We're not sure when, but we have it in the book of Daniel. 
It starts out to the nations and people of every language who live on all the earth. May you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Here we see a king who wants to tell the story of what God has done for him. And he really has the attitude that we want to have. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. This is the attitude we should have as believers, that any story we have about God's goodness, about His miracles, it should be our pleasure to share it. Now, he goes on to tell the story in, in chapter or verse 4. He's at home. He's prosperous and content. Uh, at this time, the wars have ceased. He's got great wealth. He's got great power. He's got great control. His building projects have probably finished. He's having a great time. And then he had a, a, a vision that terrified him. And so he calls his wise men in and asks them to explain what his dream meant. But they are either unwilling to give him the interpretation or unable to give it to him. And so then he calls in Daniel. And you'll notice here that Nebuchadnezzar uses Daniel as the name, but then in parentheses it says he's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God. And this leads scholars to be uncertain about whether or not Nebuchadnezzar actually worshipped God or just added him to his list of personal uh, Babylonian deities. And so what we do know is that he had great respect for Daniel. And at this point, he's at the height of his powers, and he has this terrifying vision. And he says, I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Now, I want to read you an extended quote from Tremper Longman. He says this about the tree. There is little about a sacred or cosmic tree in the literature of Mesopotamia, but the tree occurs as a major motif in the iconography. As Parpola has pointed out, the tree represents the divine world order maintained by the king as the representative of the god Azur embodied in the winged disc hovering above the tree. He alerts us to the fact that sometimes the king takes the place of the tree in the iconography. In such scenes, the king is portrayed as the human personification of the tree. Thus, if the tree symbolized the divine world order, the king himself represented the realization of that order in man. In other words, a true image of God, the perfect man. The implications for Daniel 4 are clear. Nebuchadnezzar's dream shows that he identifies himself with the cosmic tree. He is the keeper of the cosmos, the true image of God, the perfect man. And so this is where we see Nebuchadnezzar is really the dream is showing that he is filled with pride and he sees himself as a, a god or almost godlike, that he is sheltering the whole earth. Well, the next part of the dream is startling because a watcher from heaven comes 
And he says in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it, the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. And so this angel comes down from heaven, says, cut it down, but put bronze around the tree, this bronze band. And what that is, is it's either a fence or uh, something that would be placed uh, around the stump to keep it from being totally destroyed. And it really is a symbol or a sign that the tree uh, can come back. Now, then it goes on and says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Now, this is a condition called lycanthropy, or literally it means wolfman, and it refers to human beings who believe they're animals and start living like animals. And this is something that is experienced in the world today. 1946, there was a a researcher, R.K. Harrison, who did a study on this, and he observed a patient in a British mental uh, hospital who wandered around the grounds of the building and ate grass like a cow. And there's another man who thought he was a cat and lived like a cat, although he also had a job. And so it it seems pretty strange to us here and now, but it is a condition that exists. And what the angel is saying is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have this condition. He is going to behave like an animal for seven times. And we're not sure exactly what seven times means. It could be seven days, seven weeks, seven months, but most likely it means seven years, that this is an extended period where he's going to live like an animal until he acknowledges God. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is the man who's done all this. He has built the city that he has all power and all control, all of the earth shelter in his shade. But God is going to show him that that is not true. Now, Daniel knows the interpretation. He's troubled. It's in his face. He doesn't want to tell the king what it means, but the king says, don't be afraid. Tell me what it means. And Daniel gives him the interpretation. He says, you're the tree, O king. Now, you saw the messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. And he says, this is what is going to happen. You'll be driven away from the people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes." Uh, The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge heaven rules. And now Daniel, he really shows a lot of bravery here. And he says, therefore, please accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. Daniel, who knows the character of God, tells him, Nebuchadnezzar, repent of your pride. Do what you can, and that is be kind to the oppressed. Certainly when you build a city that great in the ancient world, you are doing it through oppression and mistreatment of the poor. And so Daniel is telling the king, 
stop it. Repent before God. Humble yourself before God and show your humility by changing your behavior, by doing what you can to make things right. Nebuchadnezzar, for whatever reason, doesn't listen to Daniel. We don't know why, but there's a period of one year that passes, and he's on his roof, and he he looks out over this great city, and he says, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And so rather than having a humble heart before God, rather than responding to the miracles that he's seen, he just goes on living life. And he goes on living in his pride. Even as the words are on his lips, the decree comes from heaven. His authority is taken away and he'll be driven away from the people and live like a wild with the wild animals and eat grass like an ox. And so immediately this happens. And it says his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, which means he didn't sleep indoors. He slept outdoors. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And so uh, this is quite a change from being the most powerful man in the world to living like a cow in the fields. Now, seven times pass over him probably seven years, and it says, I lifted my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what Have you done? So finally, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes who God is and that God is in control. This whole book we have seen that Nebuchadnezzar wants to be in control, but now he finally humbles himself and repents before God. And then notice he he recognizes that God does whatever he pleases, that no one can hold back his hand, say, What have you done? As soon as he says this, his sanity is restored, and he is restored to his throne. And he closes by saying this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And this is the key takeaway for Nebuchadnezzar. He recognizes God is always good and God humbles. The proud. And this goes back to Proverbs 16, 18 that says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So, some of the questions we have to consider are what does it tell us about God that he would give Nebuchadnezzar, this evil man, this vision and 12 months' notice before he humbles him? What also does it indicate about God that he restores Nebuchadnezzar to his position? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't worship. God And God has given him so many opportunities and miracles in the hopes that he would respond, and he doesn't. So what does it tell us about pride in the human heart? Often when we read a story like this, we can skip over Nebuchadnezzar's character and think, see it as an outsider. But one of the things you want to do is you want to ask, am I being proud? 
Am I being haughty before God? Am I ignoring revelation that He's given me? Is uh, the attitude of my heart that I have accomplished everything in my life, I have built up the things in my life? We want to ask ourselves these questions so we can apply the truth to our life. We want to come into alignment with the Word of God. So don't read this story as an outsider thinking, oh, how bad is Nebuchadnezzar? But if you read this story and you can ask God, am I like Nebuchadnezzar? In what ways can I be like this? And you know what? If you are, the Holy Spirit will so gently point those out to you so you can repent. And we want to ask those questions because if we will humble ourselves before God, He will lift us up. And rather than us needing to go into destruction because God needs to humble us. So ask those questions. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about human nature and people? What do I need to apply and change in my life?